Hello, I'm your host, Olivia Braffman, and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge us ambitious women that little bit closer to figuring out how to navigate both the fulfilling career and the family we desire. And well, challenge is the role we're supposed to play in it all. Each week, I'm going to be talking to the inspiring women who, in their own special way, have done just that. Let's get into it. In today's episode, I am so excited to be joined by Jane Lush, former chairman of BAFTA and BBC and TV veteran with a career spanning an incredible 35 years. From a trainee secretary in the 70s to head of entertainment, developing and commissioning some of the most loved shows of today, such as Strictly Come Dancing, Dragon's Den, and The Weakest Link, to name just a few. Wow. Post-BBC, Jane entered the world of entrepreneurship and philanthropy, setting up her own production company, Splash Media, and becoming founding chair of the BBC Performing Arts Fund, which I hear gave Adele her first ever instrument. Don't know if that's true, but that was that was a nice little uh, a nice little fact. As well as chairing caring for kids charity and joining as a trustee of Reprieve, and yet despite all of this, Jane regards her proudest productions as her two children and her grandchildren, which really says it all. In the context of this podcast, Jane Lash, it is such an honour to have you. Welcome to If She Can, I Can. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. (laughs) Look, I think what an incredible amount that you've achieved. And I always like to read it out because I think sometimes it's that amazing opportunity to just reflect on, oh my gosh, what what an incredible career. I wanted to start from the start. Seems like a good place. Where did the journey begin for you? Did you always have big dreams growing up as a child? Uh, As a child, um, if I wanted to do anything, I think I wanted to be an actress but I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't very realistic. And I've never been very good at planning. And to this day, I'm not very good at planning. By the way, you didn't take it completely up to date because right now I'm a student. I'm actually doing a law degree. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Anyway. That's incredible. Uh, Back to that later. <laughs> I left, I, 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 I didn't have any plans. I went to, I went to a fantastic school in, which still exists in Camden Town called Camden School for Girls. And all my contemporaries, funny enough, I met two of them yesterday, went off to university and I decided I wanted to go straight to work. But I didn't really do anything about it till very, very late. And I thought, I know, I'd like to work at the BBC. So I just wrote in thinking it would be a breeze, um, very, very naively. And um, they wrote back to me and they said, we do um, a secretarial course and you're very, very late and, it, and, 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 and the whole application system is finished, but somebody's actually just dropped out. So you could come in for an interview and I got that last place. It's not something I would recommend then to do and I definitely wouldn't recommend it now, but that's what I did. I went and I did a 15 week course. I learnt something called T-line shorthand, which was then a relatively new shorthand that journalists use. And I learned uh, to type, and I learned how to arrange flowers in a cup, um, and how to um, speed read, all sorts of weird things. We had lectures from all sorts of people, including um, David Attenborough, who was then actually a BBC executive. Um, We learned how to fill a, a stapler, and the woman showing us stapled her finger while she was showing us. 
Um, and then we were sort of sent out, um, and sort of one one girl who was very seemed like the most sophisticated. She had long, shiny, knee-length black boots. I remember called Dale, and she was sent off to, to work in television. She was the only one that was sent to work in television. I was sent to work in radio and BBC World Service, where I stayed for two years. I worked for somebody who was not well known at all then, called Trevor MacDonald, amongst others. Um, and um, once I got there, and I worked um, on a daily current... Well, actually, first of all, I worked as a second secretary for the head of department, and then I worked on a daily current affairs programme. And I realised very quickly that um, this wasn't going to be the... Um, quite the breeze that I had imagined it was going to be and that uh, I should just enjoy it, enjoy what I was doing, which I did, I really did enjoy it. And after two years at Bush House, I got a job on Panorama um, as a production secretary. But the, it was a very, very, very slow start. It was a very slow burn before any took, anybody took any notice of me. And it took about, nine, I think, nine years before somebody said they would uh, give me a chance to, to be a researcher. And, and after that, it went relatively quickly, but it's not, it's not a route in I would recommend, not even then, but definitely not now. So was it sort of, as opposed to, I want to forge a career in TV and this is a foot in the door to sort of open up potential opportunities, was it more, this is something I can do at this stage in my life and I'll, I'm open to seeing where it takes me? I guess a bit of both. Um, no, I thought it was a way in. Um, and the world was a very different place then, and the BBC was a very different place then, and people had staff jobs, whereas now it's totally a freelance world. Um, and, um, but no, it seemed a way in. It was only once I was in, I realised it was a way into a very short corridor with a very big, thick brick wall at the end of it. Um, but it didn't really put me off, because I, I, I did enjoy every job. And, um, and when opportunities came along, um, which just took a long time, um, you know, I was very nervous, I, I wasn't really very confident, although probably people thought I was, but I just thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll give this a go and see where it takes me. And so, um, I, you know, this had eventually led me to becoming a producer, a TV producer. Wow. But it, it, as I said, it took a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think often today people become quite um, impatient with the, the sort of climb to the top so it's really interesting that you uh, really put in the time before before the bigger opportunities landed on on you I mean there are different problems now because now you bounce around in a freelance world and so you move from one set of people to another set of people who don't necessarily know you so you know that has you know that has different different challenges I guess and you have to have a different mentality to be competent enough to you know sometimes just take a job for two weeks you know it, 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 it's uh, you know it's not a secure way and it's um you know it's hard you know it's hard work working in tv is long hours and stressful and sometimes you're on your i mean my first my first week in panorama was i probably never had a more stressful week since i mean remember i just joined as a first job in television joined as a production secretary and i worked I worked for three producers, three three white men, of course. Anyway, one of them, John Shearer, sent me on to kind of, sort of impossible, what well, what seemed to me impossible tasks, and um, 
he sent me out, he was, he was going out filming and he was doing a film about the root generation of London Stocklers, that's how long ago it was, and he wanted me to find a car park to film in. He didn't give me any money to do it and I had to let him know where I was. I can't remember how I even let him know, bearing in mind there was no such thing as mobile phones then. But anyway, I had to let him know where I was. I probably had to phone the office, I guess, from a phone box. I don't know, I don't remember, but anyway. And I had to find, and I had to do it by 12 o'clock because he was going to do an interview with, I think, the Ministry of um, a Government Minister at first. And I had no idea what to do. I was, you know, bowled up at these car parks saying, you know, I'm from the BBC, could we bring a film? No, you bloody can't bring a film crew. Why would we want a film crew? How much money are you giving us? Nothing, you know. Oh my God. So I went into a cafe. I'm thinking, I'm going to be fired. This is my first week in the job and I'm already failing. And some lorry driver started chatting me up and he said you look very worried what's the matter so i thought oh, well i'll tell him so i told him oh i can sort that out for you come with me so the sort of the choice was put my life in this complete stranger's hands or in my head being fired from my job so i climbed up into his cab he took me to so it's not there anymore but car park in Shaftesbury avenue where there are two cinemas now and he sorted it for me for a fiver <laughs> i love it and, uh, and so John say marvelous I've got the I've got the car park to film in I wonder if it was that kind of tenacity and determination that actually ended up standing you in pretty good stead to just continue your climb up uh, through the BBC do you know what I think it was fear which is probably still the thing that is, is you know being a student is, is very scary all over again so I think I think it was probably fear how interesting and was was having a career always important to you? Did you grow up with the kind of influence that you should do this? I don't remember articulating that in my head, but my mother always worked. So I think probably she was my example. And I, I think I always felt I wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet. I always felt I wanted to be able to earn my own living um, and, and be independent if I needed to be. And I think you know, my, my role model was my mother. I was very, very, very close to my mum. And I could see that her working never disturbed our relationship. But once I joined the BBC and I could see, you know, I could see, uh, I, I couldn't see, in fact, you know, where, you know, I couldn't really see a career path at all. But I just thought, well, this is a great place to work. I'm going to enjoy it. And the opportunities, you know, it, it, you know often it's the case uh, of being in the right place at the right time with the people that are prepared to give you a break. And that was definitely the case with me. I, I ended up working for two women who were prepared to give me a break. And when they told uh, my head of department or their head of department that they, they wanted to, they said, well, yeah, that's all right. You can, you know, can let Jane sort of act up as a researcher for a bit, but I'm never going to promote her. So what do you think those two female bosses saw in you because you're saying well I think it was fear that was driving you but they're probably not identifying fear thinking that's what that's what's gonna take her to the next level what do you think the qualities were that they saw in you it's a very good question I don't know I never asked them uh, one of them has died and the other one I've lost touch with um I think I think they probably saw a kind of drive in me and uh, maybe uh sort of imagination uh, ambition but not ambition in the sense of just striving for promotion. I think they probably saw I was ambitious to do something more interesting. Yeah. And what was it like? So you, you, it's great to hear that you had these strong female influences in the BBC that you were 
able to work with. What was it like generally as a woman um, in TV, you know, in those days? I don't think I, I thought about it too much, but in that, you know, we were preoccupied, but it wasn't easy. I remember, well, two things. In my job in radio, I remember one day somebody knocked on the door, put their head round Marfus and said, nobody here then? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm a person. Um, and then many years on, I was doing um, a programme, and in those days, you were kind of handed out your schedule and your studio dates and your studios. And I had at least one child by then. I can't remember if I had two, but I had at least one child by then. And the studios were penciled in for every single weekend for six weeks. And I said, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. And that was considered, well, you just didn't do that. I mean, that's just not something you'd say. So, um, but I did say it and they did change it. So that kind of taught me a lesson. Um, you know, the first very senior meetings I went to, I was very aware I was looking at a sea of grey suits and they weren't suits being worn by women. Um, the idea of working part-time just, just didn't seem remotely an option. You know, I would never have suggested that I work after I had my first, after my daughter was born and I went back to work, I would never have suggested working part-time. It just wasn't on the radar. You know, you, you felt, um, or I felt, that um, if anything, you had to um, not hide the fact you were a mother, I never ever did that, but you had to show that you could work as hard or as long hours or do anything as, as if you weren't a mother or a parent. You know, you didn't, you didn't want anybody to discount you because, oh, Jane's got children so she won't be able to, you know, she won't be able to do what's required. You, you kind of just, the, the, you know, the, the feeling was you just had to get on with it and, um, and sort out your private life. Having said that, my daughter fell very ill at the age of 50 months old and everybody was incredibly supportive and I never felt, I never felt, um, I never felt, I was never made to feel that I was risking my career by taking a great, just disappearing from work one day and not coming back for six weeks. Oh gosh. So having kids, you know, you're, you're in the BBC, you decide to start a family, did you, were you taking much time off after you had your first and then and then second child? Both times, my daughter was born at the end of August and I went back to work in January and my son was born in July and I went back to work in January. And do you, do you think that impacted you at all or that was sort of completely, completely fine and accepted in terms of the people that you worked for at the time? Um, I... I, I, as far as I remember, it was kind of roughly the kind of time that people took off. You know, you look at America today, and I don't know if you know, but there is no such thing effectively as maternity leave, except if you work for the government, and I think then there is reasonable maternity leave. But I don't, you're kind of expected to go back to work pretty much immediately. And, and you know, we put very, very young children in nurseries. Um, but, um, you know, it felt. You know, things have got better and people take longer off now, but at the time, it felt reasonable. It felt like, to me, it felt like a reasonable amount of time. My career was at a really, I just, um, I just done my first stint as a producer when I was pregnant uh, for the first time. Um, and I was kind of, you know, I did, I wanted to go back. I never, I never, hand on heart, considered not going back. I mean, it took such a long time to get my career off the very bottom rung. And I, yeah, as I said, my mother had always worked and, and I had never, I had never felt that had, um, 
marred our relationship in any way or that I, you know, I wasn't close to her as a result of the fact that she'd always been a working mum. So I guess, you know, she was, you know, she was my role model and it felt like the right thing to do. And I guess it was probably less of a concern if you've seen someone do it successfully. Yeah, I, I always felt my children would love me less if they saw me more. <laughs> I love that. I'm sure absolutely not. Well, let's, let's talk about that. I'm interested, you know, you've got your two kids, you're working full time. There's a big gap between my two children. So uh, my daughter was born in 1981. Uh, in 1982, she fell very ill. So we had to deal with the repercussions of the, well, to, uh, to the current day, really. Um, and, and then I had two miscarriages, then I had another child. So that wasn't a, you know, it, it was a, that was six years from when Nancy was born to when Alex, six years gap between them. So that, that was quite a long, you know, that wasn't a sh- short period of time. No, and, and by the sounds of it, a tough period of time as well, in terms of, you know, dealing with your daughter's illness and then, and then having to go through two miscarriages whilst working is in a, in a environment where you're outnumbered. Um, in terms of in terms of your gender is I I can only imagine had some pretty tough times. Yeah, I I was that number, but I was always I was I was always I, I always worked where there were other women. I don't you know I you know I did go to meetings where there were predominantly men, definitely. Um, and in those days, news was I mean it really was. You, you went into the newsroom and you know you had to really search to see a, see a woman in there at all. But I've always worked in an atmosphere where there were women. But a lot of women who who didn't have children, there were a lot of women that didn't have children. Um, and I think that is partly partly the um, nature of the, the job, that it is, it is pretty all-consuming. Mm. And I guess it's sort of when is the right time. If you're going to start it, I think a lot of people have this mindset of, I'll just get to this stage of my career, I'll just get to this point, because that's natural break or I've reached a a sort of milestone that I had in my head that was sort of the goal but I guess from what I hear from lots of people there isn't really a perfect time it's always disturbing impacting something in some kind of way you just sort of have to make it work yeah I don't I don't think that you should think about planning your children around your job because as you say there's never really going to be the perfect time so I think you, you have to decide when is the perfect time for you as a person that you feel you want to have a child and then you have to make the rest of it fit in, not the other way around. Are you a mother? No, not yet. Hope to be soon. And I guess this is what sort of inspired this. I'm pretty ambitious and, and really want to make something of my career and has always, always taken it really seriously and, and want the family and at no point do I have I wanted to delay anything to have the family but I do kind of look at this as a sort of challenge of how to balance these two things together. And, and that's what led me to this podcast because I spoke to lots of people and it seems that lots of people have those same thoughts and challenges and actually how can we, how can, how can I try and understand the problem a little bit more publicly rather than privately because it seems that lots of people are going through it. The, the, problem, the problem with delaying it too long, um, I mean, obviously, you know, we have a biological clock ticking away. Is you don't know how easily you'll fall pregnant. You don't know, you know, what kind of pregnancy you'll have. You don't, you, you know, there's so much you don't know. There's no point trying to work it, in my opinion. There's no point trying to work it all out because the best laid plans and all of that. My mother had a saying, my mother had a saying, which is man plans and God laughs. 
that's true you'll be disappointed if you sort of have this really strict plan it doesn't quite doesn't quite work out nature ultimately takes its course and that that's certainly been the case for me you know it's not it's not quite as easy as it looked so talk to me about your role at home you're working full-time you've got your two kids now what role are you playing at home are you primary caregiver are you doing the cooking and the cleaning how are you balancing it all in the in the uh, sort of uh, up to I can't remember how old the children were. I used to have a live-in nanny, for which, which was a complete nightmare, finding the right person, and sometimes we definitely found the wrong person. Um, and child, uh, ch- two things stopped me having a third child. One was the knowledge that I might have another sick child, because I was given the odds of that. Um, or another child with the same illness. I'm not a sick, say a sick child because she's, you know, she's, you know, she's thriving and she's a mother and she's got two children. Um, but so, so there was that. Um, and a geneticist said to us, um, advise us to have a second, but don't push your luck having a third. So that was always at the back of my mind. And secondly, the nightmare that is childcare that still is. I mean, it, you know, it's so expensive childcare now. I mean, I'm not saying it was expensive then, but it's even more expensive now. But it's not that, it's, you know, handing over your children uh, to somebody else. I mean, my son, um, who now works in television or is a writer, um, my son used to phone up and and plan his own play dates. He used to ring his friend's mothers. I mean, goodness, I can't imagine what they thought. They must have thought, gosh, Alex had such an awful mother. But he used to ring up and, and you, you know, you definitely... I used to I used to usually take the children to school but I was never there to collect them and you definitely you know your children definitely miss out on you not not having a mother at the school gate because you just miss out on that whole kind of social thing that go that goes on um, and um, I I would say that more of my kids friends mothers didn't work than did work probably or certainly in the in the it was only when they were young, uh, so it was never it was never easy, but I never once rightly or wrongly considered giving up my job. And I guess, do you feel that it impacted your relationship with them as you reflect on it now? I think they'd be better to answer that. I I think I, I genuinely think um, they wouldn't have enjoyed having a bored mother at home. Um, I think I would have felt incredibly um, frustrated um, at not being able to achieve professional professionally, and I think that wouldn't have reflected. I don't think it would have made me a nicer person or a nicer mother. But maybe that's just me kidding myself because you don't know. You know, you 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 know, you only know. You know, the old sliding door. So you know, you only know what has actually happened. And obviously, you know, you try and be as best a mother as you possibly can and I guess I did try and squeeze a lot into my life um but that's the you know that's the route I took yeah and look you you came away now and you say your your biggest role model growing up was your mother and I think that was despite the fact that that, that or probably because of the fact that that she was working and you saw that and you admired that and wonder if that's the same with with your children you know it never made me it never made me love her less or resent her or feel she should be there more. It, that just didn't cross my mind. And actually, when I was a child, that really was unusual. You know, that was really unusual to have a working mother. And I read, and I mentioned it in the intro, the proudest productions that that, that you've ever done is your children. Obviously, now your, your 
grandchildren, which is just a very beautiful perspective, given everything you've achieved. Do you think women who want the career and the family and maybe choose to prioritize careers, well, not prioritize, but, you know, not take a step back from their careers at the expense of doing more with, with their children, do you think that's a positive? Do you look at your decisions positively or I don't I don't I don't regret not giving up work I mean it would have been incredibly difficult to say say okay I'll wait till the children are 10 and then I'll go back to work that just would not have been possible in the world of TV I wouldn't you know there'd be a different set of people I'd have lost touch I'd have you know it, it, it just that was not an option and for me it wasn't an option just to stop work permanently or I never really thought about, um, you know, could I give up work and then perhaps retrain and do something else? It, it honestly just never occurred to me because once my career took off, it did have a kind of momentum of its own. So, um, and I, you know, I, I got so much further than I'd ever thought I would. You know, I never ever thought, um, you know, I would be controller of entertainment comedy for all of for all of uh, television at the BBC. I never thought I'd be commissioning huge global hits. Um, I certainly never thought I'd be chair of BAFTA. Chair, by the way, not chairman. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I absolutely didn't. You know, all those things um, at the time and, it, and, and looking back on it, you know, were astonishing. You know, I still can't believe uh, about BAFTA, really. Um, that was such an amazing honor and brought with it, or, and, and again, brought with it enormous fear. I mean, the, the, the fear of, for the first time, standing in the wings backstage at the Royal Albert Hall and going on stage to make a speech uh, in front of William and Kate and Mel Brooks and, I don't know, I can't remember which year, but Meryl Streep were, you know, it was just beyond scary. You know, I just thought, I'm going to run away. I thought I was gonna throw up with fear. Um, then I thought I was going to trip up, throw up, or trip up. And then, at the very last minute, the assistant floor manager said to me, don't lean on the podium because it's not fixed, because we move it away, and we do, uh, they do, they did Cirque du Soleil, did a, did a, a turn. So don't lean, so, thought, oh my God, I'm going to lean on that, and I'm going to fall into the, I'm going to fall into, I, I can't even begin to tell you the fear. So, actually, fear is, is something, maybe that is the thing, I've never really thought about it before, but is the thing that, has motivated me because it's every every step of the way it has been fearful it's been scary so you chasing the fear are you sort of when you get a bit comfortable are you thinking what's the next thing that will make me feel a bit uncomfortable because that's the sort of source of motivation I, mean, I think that's you know just talking about it making me making me think well maybe that's the case but they're definitely definitely not consciously but um you know most people have imposter syndrome um and whoever you talk to, you, you know, usually says that. And men as well as women. So there was always that feeling that somebody would tap me on the shoulder one day and say, ha ha, I caught you. <laughs> you know, this has all been, you've just, you know. It's, uh, so, um, so I think, you know, I, you know, fear definitely plays a part. If you look at, you know, the old thing, why do people climb mountains? You know, it is presumably to overcome some kind of innate fear. And both climbing mountains literally and figuratively, it is frightening. And people don't push themselves to the next level because they want their life to be easy. They do it because in some subconscious way, they probably 
want to make their life a bit more challenging. You know, we talk about, you know, challenging. Challenge is a, is a positive word, isn't it? But with challenge comes the possibility of failure. And, you know, I was working, um, you know, I was working in a very public um, arena, you know, you know, in a commissioning entertainment programs, couldn't be more public. So um, when we were developing Strictly Come Dancing, word got round in the industry, Jane is bringing back ballroom dancing on a Saturday night and she lost her marbles. <laughs> um, people thought I was absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, it is about um, challenging, challenging yourself, I guess. And you know, I'm still doing it. Honestly, enrolling as a student and being a student again is is scary all over again. So please tell me about this. So at what point did you decide I'm now going to become a law student, and why? Well, I think it was partly because of COVID, not COVID itself, but COVID, I think, made us all sort of sit back and, you know, that sort of gap made us kind of sit back and think. And I'm not a great believer in regrets because I don't really see the point of regrets. You know, they seem to be rather pointless. So I don't really believe in regrets. But if you do have regrets, and I can think of, I think I can think of two in, in mine, and you can do something about, about it, then why not? So. I guess my two regrets are one is not having a third child well that wasn't going to be possible i couldn't have a third child and i think i probably only regretted having a third child at the point when i knew i couldn't have a third do you know what i mean i couldn't have a third child so that is it was a bit of a regret um and never having gone to university was definitely a regret so my parents had not encouraged me quite the reverse they had discouraged me from going to university but i'd always felt uh, i was always conscious in the world um, that I worked in, that uh, I was an outlier, that it was very unusual not to be, you know, not to be Oxbridge educated, let alone, you know, not to be uh, university educated at all. And I always felt, well, did I miss out on, you know, what did I miss out on? And then I thought, well, actually, it's not too late. And I went for a walk with a woman called Linda Kelsey. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a journalist. She was uh, the editor of cosmopolitan magazine back in the day and she magazine and i went for a walk through and she said jane you must do it i did it a few years ago you'll love it um give it a go and i thought well i'll, I'll look into it i never actually thought i'd go through with it but i thought i'll look into it i looked into it and then i applied and i looked into birkbeck college which is primarily for mature students part of london university and i applied and i got a place and i still thought well, do i really want to do this and then i enrolled i thought well i can still drop out and then before i know it i'm a student <laughs> And so it, it just, I, and, you know, even if I, you know, it's a four year course, I've done a year, even if I don't get to the end of it, which I might not, because I will only continue doing it if I'm, you know, if I'm enjoying getting something out of it. At least I know I'll have tried. I won't go to my grave thinking, what if I'd have gone to university? Absolutely. And, and why law? Where did, what was, what was that inspired by? I looked into politics and I looked into law and I've always kind of, I wanted to do something that was not esoteric in any way. I wanted to, I'm not a science person at all, so I couldn't do a science subject, but I wanted something that was kind of right or wrong. Um, I wanted something that I could just learn um, and also, you know, get absorbed in and understand. And I've just always been interested. So I looked into 
the law department at Birkbeck and it, you know, it seemed good. And so I just applied for it. I mean, it was all done in a bit of a rush last summer. I applied, <laughs> it's the story of my life, I applied after, I had to apply through the clearing system because I'd left it too late, which is, you know, it's where I began. I was leaving too late, but it wasn't too late. And I applied through the clearing, which was a challenge in itself. Actually, that was the hardest thing of all. It was unbelievably com complicated to apply. Um, and, um, and so it all happened in quite a short space of time. Before I knew it, I was a student, which, you know, which was and is terrifying. Because I had to relearn how to study, I had to learn how to write in an academic style, but obviously I'm still learning, all sorts of things. I mean, even the technology really fucked me at the beginning, because it has, it's a kind of a world of its own. And I'm not, despite the fact we have a sticky start today, I'm not bad at technology, I'm not brilliant, but I'm not bad, but it was, you know, it was really quite something to get your head around, because so much of it is now online. Absolutely, and look, what I think is also amazing, and it actually stems back to a conversation I had with someone earlier this week where they said there's this myth that maybe you have to choose your career and sort of pursue that and 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 you're stuck on that train and you can't possibly do anything else but take a look at, at yours you've had this incredible career in tv and and you never know what could come of a law degree in four years i think i might go from being a student straight to the old age home but you know i think i also genuinely think it's important to keep the gray cells going and um you know, it is definitely a, a challenge. I mean, I think it would be a challenge for anybody. I'm, I'm delighted that I can keep up. I'm delighted that I'm doing seemingly as, as well and definitely better than a lot of my fellow students. I'm working harder. I mean, in my cohort, I'm sure I'm the oldest. I mean, as I say, they're not 18-year-olds, but I am definitely the oldest. And um, so I think I'm... Again, as I said, my fear motivates me to work really hard and I take, take it really, really seriously. But it's very dis disruptive to, to my life because suddenly I'm having to work holidays around, um, around school holidays. Um, you know, evenings, it's called the evening college, so the seminars are all in the evening. And suddenly my life is very disruptive. As like, and so, you know, I put my husband too. How has your husband been sort of throughout your, your career and now this in terms of a, a support network for you? He's always been supportive and it's, it's always been very, very, very nice to come home to somebody for whom it's a joyous thing if something good has happened and I've had a good day and he, you know, suffers for me, you know, when things are going badly. And obviously there are times when things went badly. I think he's a bit perplexed by this one though. <laughs> I think he thinks, I, I, as I said, my parents actively discourage me from going to university. And I don't really feel that I'm with somebody when I stand by somebody's grave, but I was stood by my mother's grave and I said to her, or I said to the grave, mum, I'm finally doing it, I'm finally going to university. And I could hear her say, very nice dear, but why? <laughs> she would not, she would not, um, she would not say, oh, that's a marvelous idea. She just wouldn't. Well, they, they always say, you're You'll never regret doing something, but you might regret not doing something. A hundred percent. And I always say that to people when they're considering about having another child. I've never met anybody who said, oh God, I wish I hadn't had that last one. <laughs> I just haven't. And that is so true. You, you, you absolutely regret the things you didn't at least give, you know, give them a try. You know, when, when it was suggested to me that I stand to be chair of BAFTA, and I won't bore you with how that works, but I said to the person, what do you think I could do it? And she said, again, another woman, and she said, yes. 
you know, absolutely. She was the previous chair and she said, yes, you know, absolutely. And I thought, you know what, I'm really going to give it a go. When I decide to give something a go, I really give it, you know, I really, really give it my, my best shot. I wonder if that's through fear of failing, if you don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, The Weakest Link, you know, when we did The Weakest Link, it was, you know, when I saw the pilot, um, I commissioned this pilot um, and based on, based on a little office run through, we went to the head of uh, the BBC in-house head of entertainment's office and he did this little run through of an idea that had come in from two members of the public, which is very unusual in itself, they usually get shoved at, you know, never even looked at. Anyway, we commissioned the pilot. When the pilot came in, it was it was pretty shocking. It really was. I mean, you know, Anne Robinson. It was, you know, in the, in the, in the, there had been nothing like that. But I was so excited by it, and um, and we commissioned we commissioned as many episodes as they could make between then and Christmas, which was something like sixty eight, which believe me, even then was unheard of. Sixty eight episodes of something brand new and something completely, you know, kind of off the scale weird. And I was very excited about it. And I showed it to somebody who came into my office and I said, look, I'm so excited about this. I've looked at this. And she looked and she goes, what do the focus groups think? And I said, well, we haven't shown it to them. And she said, why not? I said, I don't know. And I said, I haven't really occurred to me. I, I rang up the Zoe, the woman who did our research, our audience research. And I said, do you think we should show it? She said, Jane, absolutely not. Because everybody will say they hate Anne Robinson and that will put you off your stride. In fact, the then controller of BBC Two looked at the pilot and she and her team said, we love it, but can you do it without Anne Robinson? She actually suggested a, a newsreader. And I just thought, well, you're completely missing the point of this. Um, and um, anyway, I, I, ignored, I ignored everybody and the rest is history, as I said. I knew it was a hit. I was on holiday when it launched in August. We wanted to get it off on the air before Big Brother, but we didn't. It was the same year as Big Brother. And I was on holiday. and. Um, Somebody in my team said, we've had 200 complaints in overnight. And I thought, yes, we've got a hit. <laughs> Success. Oh, my gosh, I love that. And it, it, grew, it grew through the audience, um, found it. You know, we didn't have any marketing budget or anything, but the audience, who knows best, by the way, the audience always knows best. You, know, you can have 100 smart TV execs, and they're all working on a programme they, you know, for wherever, wherever they come from, they think it's going to be great, otherwise it wouldn't have got the green light. And you can get the huge flops. But the audience somehow, together, gets it right every time. And look what became of it. 68 episodes is nothing in comparison to how many has actually happened. My next thought was, were they going to pinch it for peak, which is indeed sort of what happened, although they allowed me to keep it in daytime. Um, and then we commissioned another 100 as quickly as we could before they could get their hands on it. Incredible. What an incredible story. We're coming to the end of our time, which I'm sad about because I feel like I could talk to you forever and ever and ask you so many questions. I've got so many more I could ask you, but I'd love to get your advice. So what would your advice be to those ambitious women who want the career, they want the family, they're maybe at the start of their journey, so they haven't done it yet, or they've recently dived into the world of, of motherhood. What do you believe is the the answer to striking that right balance. You, you've got to go for it, go for your instincts and try and do everything that you're doing for the very best that you can, whether it's parenting or whether it's working or whether it's being a friend or whatever it is, do it to the absolute best of your ability. And that, you know, sometimes takes 
a lot of effort, like you know, proper effort, hours and hours. Um, but you but you don't get second chances at anything um, in life, and um, and if you if you want to. Uh, if you feel it's better that you stay at home and be a full-time mother, then you should do that too. You, you've got to do what feels right, um, because there are, what, else, what other choice do you have? But you've got to give everything your very, very best shot. And then, it, as I said with this degree, I'm going to give it my very best shot. And if I graduate, I will be absolutely, absolutely thrilled a bit that I've given it a go. But if I don't, it won't be because I haven't tried. It's because I've tried and I've realised it's not the right thing to do. So you just got to you've got to go with what you've got to. And I've I believe this in TV commissioning. You don't commission TV shows with your head. You commission them with your heart. You can commission them out of instinct. You have an instinct that something's going to be uh, successful, and you're not necessarily going to be right. But if you try and do it in a cynical way, if you look down at the audience. Or if you try and do it by numbers, by sort of saying, well, you know, this works, this works. In the end, you've just got to be able to picture something in your head and, and, and go for it. And, you know, that's kind of been my motto. I love that. And is there anything, I strongly believe that it's people like you who have kind of forged the careers in the past that you have that have made it easier for people like me to follow in your footsteps and businesses are adapting more to supporting that more than they I think they, they ever have before would, would you think that accurate do you feel do you feel like it is maybe businesses and, and companies are a little bit more supportive now of you know women doing these things they're more supportive of so many things you know I'm very aware you know mental health how what a what a, a problem that is for so many people and I've had a lot of mental ill health in my own family so I'm very aware of it and I'm very aware at university now, how aware they are of that and how they try and mitigate it for you. I know, you know, so many students are sadly uh, committing suicide, but I think it's true in the workplace that people are much more aware, um, and all, and all that is a good thing. But in the end, you know, very often the pressure comes from ourselves, and you know, even with um, with employers that are more sympathetic, they're more sympathetic to all sorts of things. They're more sympathetic to a a different way of working. I mean, COVID has taught us that, you know, we can work much more at home. We don't all have to go to the office every day. You know, I think that's probably changed forever. Um, in the end, I think most of the pressure comes from within and you have to you have to learn, if you can, how to deal with it and cope with it because it is hard to combine everything. And, and being a parent is, um, you know, brings up challenges every day. You know, they say in a... a, 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 a that Anne Robinson always says that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child and that's so true you really are um, and so you know nobody says it's easy none of it is easy but kind of go for it and give it your best shot and and enjoy it because if you're not enjoying if there aren't there may there are moments of fear there are moments of worry there are moments of anxiety there are moments you think you're going to be fine but if you are predominantly enjoying it or there aren't moments that you're really enjoying you're doing the wrong thing because what's the point if you're not enjoying it? I mean, that's a luxury, I guess, to have a job that you enjoy, but it's quite an important luxury because you spend so much of your life working. And as they say, nobody, nobody went to their grave saying, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. Um, but it's, it's really important that, and enjoying it can be many different things, you know, but 
They have to make you smile, and, and you have to, you know, you have to, it has to be fun as well. Absolutely. Jane, thank you so much for your time. I know lots of people will be listening to this and, and thinking so fondly of all of the advice and wisdom that you've shared and to hear about the incredible career that, that you've built. So I appreciate you being on today. It's been the absolute pleasure to get a chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.